Welcome back to Unwarp Reality, a podcast designed to help us see not through, but around the looking glass. Our goal is to help unpack the manipulation and bias prevalent in mainstream media reporting. If you're curious for more background, please listen to episode one, where we discuss in greater detail the motivation and goals for the project. You can find it on our Substack or YouTube channels under Unwarp, that's U-N-W-A-R-P, Reality. I'm Liz, a cybersecurity specialist, cultural anthropologist, and world traveler calling in from New York City. And I'm Becca, a psychologist, leadership coach, and social critic coming to you from New York City. That's right. We are in the same room this time. So hopefully things don't get too crazy. Yeah, we'll do our best to keep it in check. But anyway, it's great to have you with us. If you want to know a little bit more about who we are, you can check out the bio page on our Substack. So in the last episode, we talked about strange and hyperbolic reporting on animals. Today, we're going to continue with the theme of how reporting frames or attempts to reframe with a negative bend our existence in the natural world. Right. We've talked a lot about the mainstream media's catastrophizing and obsession with painting every bit of news in the most negative light. So rather than reporting on the facts and providing balanced perspectives, they strive to make readers feel as scared and insecure as possible. Exactly. It's fear-mongering. And we're not the only people to have pointed this out. But it's very unhelpful and damaging as a strategy for both supporting well-being and for helping people to more accurately understand and process information about their environment. We're going to look at two recent articles, one from The Guardian and another from The New York Times. These two publications have gone full tilt into we're all going to die mentality. Yeah. And until recently, that was even the thrust of the Guardian's pitch at the end of every article to try to get more subscribers. Remember that? It was like the world's going to end. So give us all your money to help with our reporting. And sadly, I do not have a screenshot of it. um, And the blurb has been updated. But we actually have a link in the references to an article from a few years ago where the Guardian is explaining specifically to their readers that fear mongering is their new tactic. So they informed that they would be updating certain terminology to be, quote, more scientifically precise by, for example, changing climate change to climate emergency, crisis, or breakdown. Breakdown? Breakdown, yes. So they're going to try to be more precise by focusing on this catastrophe at hand when we are all living in the world, looking around, surviving. So it, it doesn't seem accurate or precise to me, right? Honestly, it's astounding. First, if the world was really on the verge of collapse, I can think of a billion other ways I'd be spending my money than giving it to the garbage guardian. Exactly. And secondly, how are emotionally laden terms more scientifically accurate? In that article that you're talking about, they say, quote, we face a direct existential threat with respect to climate change. But this is false because many climate scientists disagree with this extremely negative perspective and they disagree based on data and modeling. So hyperbolic catastrophizing is less rather than more scientifically accurate. Yeah. So, I mean, this is (laughs) that's the perspective that we're starting from. So I guess uh, let's dig in. let's dive in to these articles. So what's up first for today? Okay, well, since we're on The Guardian, let's stick with The Guardian. And here's the headline. Up to 70% of California beaches could disappear by end of the century. Wow, okay. So 70% of the beaches could disappear. I mean, that sounds like it could be- Gone, poof, gone. Wow, like, I mean, that's quite alarming. 
Well, that's how they want you to feel. But when you dig into it, the study on which this article is based actually tells a very different story. Okay, so I'm just going to hazard a guess that it all hinges around that little world could and uh, additionally what the author has chosen to highlight versus what they left out or, or what they de-emphasized. Exactly correct. And with any predictive model, the results are going to be highly variable depending on what data you use to start with and what trajectories you choose to put that data through. What could possibly happen in the future? No. Literally anything. Oh, you can yeah. ask Wyclef. So a poorly defined model cannot do much to help us understand what's in store. I was going to say, you can ask uh, Wyclef and I'll ask Natasha Bedingfield. Amazing. <laughs> so, so many songs are written. Um, okay. So yeah, I mean, aside, aside from that, is, isn't that like what you just said, the, the whole idea behind chaos theory and like the butterfly flapping its wings here and, and changing everything over there? <laughs> yes, right. A concept solidified in many people's minds from Dr. Malcolm in Jurassic Park. Oh my God, brilliant, <laughs> brilliant performance by Jeff Goldblum. Thank you for that. The, the whole movie is a stellar gem. Okay, so let's take a closer look at what's actually in this article. First, are 70% of beaches going to be gone by the end of the century as the headline warns? Well, no, not even according to the research that they reference. As the study found, quote, between 25% and 70% of California beaches might be washed away by the end of the century. <laughs> okay, wait, so 25 to 70%. I mean, that covers almost half of the possibilities for amounts of beach that could be lost. That's a massive, massive range. And Again, 70% is the highest of that range, which naturally speaking is, of course, what they chose to put in the headline. Absolutely. Emphasize the worst case scenario whenever possible. Yeah. And like, frankly, the numbers are so broad, it feels almost pointless to cite any of them, right? Yeah. Huge range. And the other thing that's really important to note is in the article, they tell us that the model for making these production predictions was based on a climate crisis driven sea level rise. So the conclusions based on this climate crisis driven model and are therefore likely to be skewed towards catastrophe. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, that was the focus of the model, right? Right. And additionally, the range of values is so wide that probably with a little tweaking, we could reasonably expect them to be between zero and 100%. So again, anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're almost there <laughs> to begin with. So, and I, I don't know, I didn't see any discussion on whether or not the models themselves are accurate or realistic as, as projections, right? Like models are very um, variable. It depends on how you set it up and and where you put the weighting and, and, and all of that. And we've seen that much of the climate change modeling that's been done in the past, for example, on declining Antarctic polar ice sheets, it, it, over time it's proven to have suggested future results that are actually the opposite to what's occurred. So, so like an increase rather than a decline. And I think a, a lot of the climate models that we're using, they're based on such a small subset of data that they're, they're highly inaccurate. Right. That's totally correct. And we've got a couple of items in the episode references in case you're interested in more about what she's referring to with respect to the polar ice sheets. Now, to their credit, The Guardian has actually cited an expert who backs up this idea of uncertainty that you're whoa, pointing whoa, whoa, whoa. at. Alternative perspectives considered. I know. So Mark Merrifield, who is from Scripps in La Jolla, quote from the article, warns that the predictions have a wide amount of uncertainty, so they should be taken with some skepticism. I would argue a lot, but you know, he's, he's more scientific. Beach morphology models in general have limited skill in predicting contemporary change. 
there are few data sets available for validation of the methodology and projections of future wave and water level conditions introduce another level of uncertainty. Yeah, so the, the, the span is already huge to begin with. And then the results are based on all sorts of uncertain variables. So the research behind the study is, is speculative, right? Which in and of itself is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with modeling. It's very helpful across a wide range of disciplines, but the way it's presented in this article and the, that they chose to lead with that headline, it really misleads the reader into thinking that it, it's a primarily data-driven uh, assessment, It's that it's not projections of what could happen. And it really increases the likelihood that people reading it will take it as fact when it's just, you know, the predictions of, of one research team. Right. The article then goes on to say that, quote, the study's authors conclude that substantial management efforts such as dune restoration will be needed to maintain the beaches as they exist today, end quote. Mm -hmm. As if coastlines anywhere in the world have remained static throughout time. Yeah, the, this is the piece of these arguments that, like, it really annoys me. So the natural world is constantly changing in ways that humans cannot control for the most part, right? Like sometimes those changes happen quite quickly. Sometimes they happen more slowly, tectonic plates, everybody. Um, and sometimes these events can be influenced by human behaviors, no doubt. So like, you know, creations of dams and reservoirs, dumping of chemical pollutants into the rivers, and obviously those smoggy hazes that we see above big cities, right? Like humans can affect some aspects of what's happening in the environment. Yeah, of course, right? And nobody would likely argue that we shouldn't work to clean up or avoid pollution whenever possible. Right, but then then you move to this attempt to control the coastlines so that the California beaches will always look the way that they do right now. That It's just completely insane. And I, I think also in the article, it mentions something like in place of the beaches, there'll be cliffs. It did, well, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, th that already exists, not only in California, but like myriad places around the world. There are no beaches. There are cliffs. And guess what? People are getting along just fine. Right. They totally ignore all the time the fact that humans are resourceful, resilient and can adapt. People could move, for example. The history of the world has always involved human migration, shifting climate patterns, Additionally, how are we to know that there won't be other problems generated by these artificial attempts to alter the natural changes that are taking place on the coastline? Seriously, don't even get me started on those malaria mosquitoes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. But so climate patterns, population centers, powerful empires, all of this has always been changing and it will continue to change. So Personally, I think a more helpful approach is to acknowledge that the coastlines, not just in California, but everywhere, will continue to keep shifting and to remind ourselves that we absolutely shouldn't expect things to last forever, right? And when we think about human existence in a hundred years or a thousand years, it, there's no rationale to say it should be how it is today. Yeah, 100%. But if we continue down this track, I think we're going to get more into the realm of philosophy. Okay. So let's maybe bring it back to the Guardian article. Or, you know, maybe have we had enough with that one? Should we just go yeah. to the New York Times? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. So uh, yeah, let's pivot to the New York Times article. Okay, um, perfect. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so last week, uh, here in New York City, we were affected by wildfire smoke coming down from Canada, complete with, you know, the orange tinted atmosphere and, and the smell of barbecue in the air. And this is the blurb that popped up from the New York Times on my phone. Quote, the smoke and plunge in air quality 
resurrected scenes from the pandemic lockdown with a familiar feeling of helplessness. <laughs> okay. Why are they so obsessed with bringing up the pandemic? Literally any chance that they can. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe this is the largest increase in their readership. I, I honestly don't know, but Probably. I can absolutely tell you that I was here in New York City during the pandemic and I was also here in New York City last week. And there is on no level a correlation between the two situations. So the first two weeks of the pandemic, it was absolutely crazy. It, it Honestly, it was scary. It was a very uncertain time. There was nobody outside. You could hear sirens. You didn't know what was safe. You didn't. You didn't know. You didn't know what was safe, right? That uh, there were moments of helplessness within that. Okay. And so, what about last week? I mean, last week, everybody I know was like, "Whoa, sky is orange. What's going on?" And like, "Oh man, that this isn't great for my lungs." But by and large, everybody just kind of went about their business. Yeah, I mean, so probably a few people might have brought their masks back out to protect their lungs from pollutants in the air, and maybe some people stayed home, but pretty much felt normal except for the haze, right? Yeah, sure. There, there were very small things that you noticed, but like the feeling of helplessness, I, I, honestly, I, I don't think it was anywhere to be found. Well, obviously, except in the minds of these New York Times journalists. Of course, of course. So in the article, they say that the smoke, quote, turned New York into a scene of unsettling gloom on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's accurate either. Like, honestly, a lot of people thought it was kind of, kind of cool. I don't know. Like, Yeah, and it's they're acting as if this is so out of the ordinary and unusual. It's likely for a lot of people living in New York, not the first time that they've had exposure to wildfire smoke. Yeah, for sure. People come from all over. There's loads of places that experience wildfires with much greater frequency. Like we've both lived in California, for example. Yeah, and this... This just the this sense in the article that they wanted to portray everything like it was the, the apocalypse, right? Like here's another quote, yellow tape more familiar at crime scenes stretched across playground entrances, school recess yards remained vacant. Oh my God. It's like the opening scene from a horror movie or something. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm picturing in that school yard, the, that, that lone swing creaking as it goes back and forth with the child missing from it. Yeah, some, like, some like, you know, kids toy is just sitting there rotting or something exactly. in right so with people the parallel with masks from the pandemic fine the air quality was pretty hazardous yeah no for sure I, that, for sure it was my lungs were absolutely not happy but as the article rightly points out the expectation was that this danger from the air quality would soon pass right which again is very unlike what we were experiencing with the pandemic yeah exactly right and i know from experience that the sky did clear up because when i arrived two days later it was pretty much business as usual yeah exactly you know there were there were some some slight remnants but it wasn't at all like it was on tuesday and you know, if you think about it, we had for a couple of days, but Canadians have been dealing with the burning for a lot longer than we have. Right. So in some areas like British Columbia and Alberta, blazes have been going since April. So some people living there might legitimately be feeling helpless, especially if they lost their homes. But here in New York? Yeah, no, t total exaggeration. But OK, uh, before we close, can we please get to the part about uh, that quote from the tourists? Oh this is classic. So in the article, they discuss a man who was visiting New York City with his wife and parents from India, and he was, quote, expressing disappointment at the turn of events. <laughs> okay, poor guy. Sorry. Yes, he complained because he and his family were unable to see buildings they had planned to see from observatories. 
And they also had trouble walking long distances because of the smoke. I mean, so did everyone else for a couple of days. Get over it. Like that, that would be like if when I was in uh, Zurich and I got interviewed by a Swiss paper about my disappointment because it rained the whole time that I was there. Like, guess what? Nobody cared. And why should they? Right. We've completely lost an understanding of going into experiences and looking at them for the positives of the experience. All the media wants us to do is focus on the negatives. It's not about what we get to experience, what we get to do. It's what we miss out on. It's so entitled. Yeah. And that uh, focus and like obsession with always looking at the negative side of things that, that starts the spirals of depression and envy and, and discontent that lead to decreases in mental health when most of the time our lives are on average ostensibly better than at any other point in history, right? Like cumulatively speaking, this is a great time to be alive. Absolutely. And if you doubt it, read factfulness, read the rational optimist, right? Okay. So let's wrap it up. I want to be able to enjoy some of my time while I'm here in New York city. Okay. Well, I'm looking out the window. It seems a bit hazy. And if you recall, we weren't able to get those reservations you were hoping for. So, um, should I just call the New York Times for an interview with another disappointed tourist? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think if we can try to get Mayor Adams on the phone, I'd also like to have a word. <laughs> okay. that, like, I'd like to speak to the manager. I'd like yes. to speak to the mayor. 100. Uh, let's, uh, let's take it down a notch. Um, let's just recap before we go. Um, first of all, the world is not ending. And <gasps> even if the coastlines might change their shape over the next hundred years, there is a chance that, you know, we could even end up with more beautiful coastlines. Right. Remember to pay attention to how the information is framed, what's highlighted and what gets downplayed and focus on the numbers as well. 25% to 70% is a huge range of possibilities. So especially when those values are based on modeling without substantial additional data, there shouldn't be any reason for alarm with such variance. Right. And additionally, some of the environmental problems we face like the wildfire smoke in New York City, are highly temporary. So if anyone felt helpless during that time, I honestly feel sorry for them. But that's another reason why we need to cultivate resilience and, and not focus on lack of agency and catastrophization of, of normal events. Right. And the other thing is some events like this should be expected. There's no way for us to eliminate environmental changes or natural disasters. They are part of life. We can control the way we respond to them. We can be resilient in the face of challenges, even those that we can't directly control. Right, exactly. So keep focusing on the positives and keep finding the holes in the logic or evidence that's presented to you when reading these types of stories. So both the articles and some additional information are linked in the episode references. So please feel free to take a look at your leisure. And we want to thank you once again for listening and We'll see you next time as we continue on our journey to unwarp reality. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And please send comments, questions, or ideas to unwarpreality at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>